Hello, friends. Thomas here. Welcome back to the Buddhist Recovery Network podcast. The next three weeks, we have a talk by Vimala Sara titled Why We Meditate. Before we get to the talk, just a couple things. The International Buddhist Recovery Summit's registration is now open. So go to BuddhistRecoverySummit.org to find out more. Our next live Academy talk is going to be May 5th with Ralph Steele. Well, we'd love to see you there. It's super easy to watch the live Dharma talk using Zoom on your phone or on computer. I've done both, and it's really great. Uh, check out BuddhistRecovery.org forward slash Academy to get the link. And lastly, as always, we invite you to offer Donna if your heart is moved by what you hear on this podcast. The Buddhist Recovery Network is operated by volunteers, and your support is the only way we can make this happen. Donations go towards the cost of web hosting, podcast hosting, summit expenses, and to the teachers themselves. Many hearts have gone into making this happen, including yours. So check out BuddhistRecovery.org forward slash donate to offer Donna. Okay, let me introduce Vima Lasara. Vima Lasara Mason John is the current president of BRN. She was the co-founder and guiding teacher of Healing and Insight, an online faculty that explored the sharp edges of suffering. She's an award-winning author of eight books. She is the co-founder and co-author of Eight Step Recovery, using the Buddhist teachings to overcome addiction. With eight-step meetings in three continents. And she is also the co-founder of Mindfulness-Based Addiction Recovery, MBAR. Vimalasara is a senior teacher in the Triatna Order and Community. wonderful to see all of you here and firstly it would be really lovely just to hear the names of the order members here because I haven't met some of you and you are the people who keep the Dharma alive here in Auckland so Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, that's just uh, lovely to just see so many of you here because meditation is something that we offer at our public centres. In fact, anywhere in the world you will go, if you go to one of our public centres, we will offer meditation, the mindfulness of breathing and the metabhavna. 
But um, I have a question for you. Where does Buddhism come from? Africa. Africa. Okay. <laughs> Great. Any, any other, any other contributions? I like that contribution. Yeah. Where, where else? Where did you come from? Where did you? Buddha. The Buddha. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Any other offers? India. India. Interestingly, Sangharakita, my teacher and the teacher of many here in this room says that Buddhism came from meditation. I think that's very, very interesting, that Buddhism came from meditation. What was the Buddha doing when he, or what was the prince, more to the fact, doing when he woke up to the truth? Exactly, he was meditating. So he wasn't reading a book, he wasn't listening to some great teacher on Vulture's Peak, he was actually meditating. And I think that's really important too because sometimes we think, oh, we don't have to meditate. But I think that meditation is very core for self-transformation. In fact, Sangharachita says that we don't meditate to be happy. In fact, happiness is a byproduct of meditation. We meditate for self-transformation. And I just wanted to quote from Bob Marley, one of my favorite poets, who says, emancipate yourself from mental slavery, but none but ourselves can free our minds. And this is what the prince was doing before he woke up to the truth, that he was really emancipating himself. So I'll just briefly tell the the legend of the prince's enlightenment, the prince waking up to the truth. It's said that when he sat beneath the Bodhi tree, that he became assailed by many negative emotions. In fact, one of the first strong emotions that he was assailed by was hatred. It's said that Mara sent an army and there were these arrows coming to the prince. And the prince was able to turn towards it and actually change these arrows into beautiful lotus petals, flowers. Now I know sometimes when we meditate or we're trying to work on ourselves and some strong emotion comes up or something really difficult happens, we think, oh, we've had our lot, that's it. Well, the prince didn't say, I've had my lot, that's it. In fact, there was more to come. It's said that Mara sent his daughters, the daughter of sense desire, it said that the daughter would strip in front of the prince. It said that the daughter of boredom came, restlessness and, and anxiety. So these daughters came to tempt the prince. 
but the prince didn't block it out. The prince was able to see through these mental states because in a way, Mara represents these negative mental states that can arise in the mind. And often when we sit to meditate, we have this assumption that it's going to be really blissful and that when we meditate, we're going to be feeling good and we're going to be happy. And for some people that may happen initially. We hear about the beginner's mind, but actually many people who sit to meditate actually do really struggle and it isn't blissful. And why do we think it should be really blissful where we have this legend which clearly tells us that if we sit down to meditate and meditate really deeply and intensively, we are going to actually have to face some negative mental states. They are going to uproot in the mind. Things even got worse for the prince. It got so intense that it said that Mara said, who gave you the seat to enlightenment? Who gave you the right to enlightenment? And this shook the prince to the core because the prince had made a vow, and I'll speak about the vow a bit later, but the prince had this moment of doubt, this doubt which shook him to the core and it's said that the prince touched the earth and said let the earth be my witness and it was at that moment that he was able to break through to what we call enlightenment break through to seeing things as they really are it was as if touching the earth firstly asking for help and often we can find it so hard to ask for help. But the prince actually in his darkest moment asked for help by touching the earth. And I believe that by touching the earth that the prince was able to see so clearly that he was not separate from Mara. That he was not separate from these mental states that were arising, that he was interconnected with everything, interconnected with the earth, interconnected with everything that was arising. Because we know that when these mental states arise, especially these strong negative mental states, we become separate and other. And this is which, uh, this, this separate and other causes the, the distress and the conflict arising in our lives. Another thing which I find really interesting about the story of the Prince's Enlightenment is that, well firstly, the four sights, but the fourth sight, the it was the fourth sight that actually influenced the prince to go forth. We know that he was completely disturbed by seeing sickness and 
aging and death and all of us we are all disturbed by aging we 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 can find that so difficult aging when our body isn't working in the way it should do and if we get sick and what does that mean and and we're going to die but the thing that really <coughs> propelled the the prince to to go forth was this mendicant this person who was simply living his life, simply radiating stillness, simplicity and contentment. This was the thing that inspired the prince. It wasn't, again, somebody who was teaching. It was somebody who was just living practice, somebody living the teachings. That's what inspired him. And all of us can can be that inspiration for other people to simply live the teachings. The easy thing is to be up here and give a talk. The easy thing is to write the books. And I can say that because I've written or edited eight books and I give talks. This is the easy thing. The hardest thing is to live the Dharma, is to practice the Dharma. That's the hardest thing. And the second thing about the legend of the prince's enlightenment is that, well, you tell me, what did the, the prince vow? What did the prince vow? Before, before he, oh, I'll get there if my muscles dissolve. Not move from the spot. Yeah, so let's look at that. So he vowed to sit with determination. We need to sit with determination if we are going to meditate. And what I mean by that is that we need to sit with the, the determination to keep on coming back to the body, to keep on coming back to the breath. Often I hear people say the important thing is noticing that your mind has got distracted, noticing that your mind has got caught up with all this thinking, all this planning, all this judging, all this complaining, all this craving. That's great. That is great. But we know that that place of planning or craving can feel very fuzzy and, and it can be quite seductive when we're in that place and it feels like that actually we moved into some dhyana but it isn't dhyana and it's so hard to pull ourselves back because it's so seductive so the practice is twofold firstly becoming aware that our mind has got caught up and distracted but the hardest thing is to have the determination to bring yourself back to the body, back to the breath, back to the feelings. And this is what the prince constantly did when he vowed to sit with determination. 
He didn't run away. He didn't get lost in this craving and started fantasizing about this beautiful being that came into his mind. And we know that. There's times when we meet somebody and they look at us and we tell us they must like us and the next next minute they must fancy us and the next minute we fancy them and we fall in love with them and we've married them and we've had their children and then we've killed them off. <laughs> yeah, it happens in seconds, you know. And the prince didn't do this. <laughs> the prince was able to come back to the body, come back to the feelings. And those of you who were in my talk yesterday, I think I did actually talk about why it's so hard to come back to the body. Because many of us have split from the body, we've left the body, we've turned the feelings off. Nobody is home in the body. We've switched all feelings off, just as we switch the lights off when we leave the house. Many of us switched all the feelings off. And I did ask some of you yesterday, what would it be like if you left here this evening and you couldn't find your way home. What would that be like? It's a question. What would it be like? Terrifying. Exactly. Terrifying. And there are many of you in this room who cannot find your way home to the body because it's terrifying. And it's terrifying because of the trauma that we have experienced in childhood. And it doesn't have to be some catastrophic trauma. It could be the fact of a pet dying as when you were a child and not being able to talk about it. It could have been you as a child hiding when your parents were arguing, fighting. Or it could have been when you were living in a household where there was alcoholism or drug addiction or mental health or many, many things that can happen in childhood and we disconnect because there is nobody who we can speak to and we leave the body and we begin to fantasize and do all this magical thinking and begin to blame ourselves and tell us it's our fault because of all the things that was happening in our childhood. We have this magical thinking and we're unable to come back to the body because it's so painful. But there was another thing that the prince vowed. What was it? To find an end of suffering. Thank you. It was to find an end of suffering. But many people talk about vowing to gain enlightenment. And the prince didn't vow to gain enlightenment. And there are many seekers out there who are wanting enlightenment, wanting this happiness. But he vowed to find an end of suffering. This is why he 
vowed not to move from this spot until he found an end of suffering. So when we meditate, in a way, we are beginning to find an end of suffering. That's what we're doing. And in finding an end of suffering, we begin to move into this self-transformation. But to find an end of suffering, we have to face the suffering. That's the only way we are going to find an end of suffering, is to face the suffering. So this is when we get into the territory of perhaps one of the first teachings that the Buddha gave when the prince became a Buddha, the Four Noble Truths. And he clearly says in the the first truth, and it's unfortunate with the translation because we often say that the first truth is that there is suffering, but I think it's better to say that actually there is going to be pain in life. There, there is actually going to be pain and there will be physical pain and there will be mental pain and it's unavoidable. We cannot avoid pain in this life. It's completely unavoidable. How many of you in this room have never experienced physical pain? <laughs> How many of you in this room have never experienced mental pain? It's unavoidable. Completely unavoidable. But the second truth tells us that there is a path that leads to more suffering. And this is what can end. That's what can end. The, the path that leads to more suffering. That suffering we create. In fact, there is a Buddhist teacher called Shinzen Yang. And for those of you who are mathematical, he uses the symbols of P times R equals S. Pain times resistance equals suffering. Mm. Yes, we know it, don't we? And again, if we go back to the legend of the prince's awakening, he did not resist those negative mental states that arose in his mind. He didn't resist them because if he had of resisted them, it would have created more suffering. So we have to begin to turn towards the suffering, face the suffering, see the emptiness in the suffering. And what I mean by that is to see the emptiness in the stories that we create. To begin to see that these stories that we create are the fabrication and the concoction of the mind. This is what suffering is. It's the fabrication and the concoction of the mind. Or 
for some people, there are, there are those of us who we've been Buddhist practitioners for many years and what we've done is we've just sweetened up samsara. So it's like there is still samsara, but we've just slightly sweetened it up so it's manageable to, to live in. Yeah. And so in a way, our suffering is a bit like we, we have the word dukkha. So unsatisfactoriness, and sometimes I call that unsatisfactoriness when I've got a stone in my shoe. That's unsatisfactoriness, this stone in my shoe. The traditional image is a buckled wheel. If those of you who cycle, you know when your wheel is slightly buckled and it's slightly unsatisfactory. Yeah. So we meditate to begin to free ourselves from the prison of our minds, to begin to emancipate ourselves. And as Bob Marley says, none but ourselves can free our minds. We have to do the work. So it's not for the faint-hearted. Mm-hmm.